not to knock it or anything, but I was saying it's it's a pretty standard opening. So really, right. like it's it's and I think it's 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 that way because uh, because we just want to be um, we just want to be free. We just want to I want it to be a uh, a malleable, easy thing. We can do whatever yeah. we want with the opening. Fair but enough, it's, yeah, fair hello enough. and welcome to hello and welcome to is the is the main thing. So okay, all right, I'm ready. I'm ready. <clears throat> Clock it. <laughs> Hello and welcome. Okay, seriously, this time, clock it. That's how every recording has to begin. <laughs> I'm just gonna turn off my mic and let you do this. This one, okay? <laughs> the whole cast, I mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. Welcome to Bjork's Baby and a Baby Bjorn. Uh, my name is Max Pachet-Zilsdorf. And I'm Jacob Severn. And uh, this is our brand new podcast. I mean, I guess it's a podcast that we've had for a little bit, you know, um, but uh, it's we've had a bit of a, a respite, a bit of a hiatus, so we've come back strong with a brand new name. Um, and, I, and I liked Bjork's Baby and a Baby Bjorn, but Jake, you had another idea for this this new podcast name what was it again well it all it all goes back to uh, a few years ago when i was struck by this idea late at night i was i was going to bed i was getting ready for bed and i was lying next to my mm-hmm. wife in bed and i was suddenly you know when you're suddenly Lovely. struck by an idea and it it wakes you up it sends a jolt through you and this creative force compels you to open your eyes back up after you've already agreed with yourself yeah. that you're going to go to sleep yeah. and say, what's better, Bjork's baby and a baby Bjorn or Larry King at Dairy Queen? And Oof. so that was one. kind of my – I know. As I, I, I felt compelled to ask my wife this as we were falling asleep and she mumbled Larry King at Dairy Queen because then I could get a blizzard. Which I thought was pretty good, uh, but 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 I, I I don't even really know if the idea is like you would be there, but it's just like which is better for America, like, right? Right. Which is right. which? I, there's a lot of talk about what's you know what America wants, what America needs. Mm-hmm. Do we need a strong leader who can whip the country into shape? Do we need someone who's going to be open and accepting to different kinds of people? But mm-hmm. I think the real question is Bjork's baby and a baby Bjorn or Larry King at Dairy Queen. I think, and I think this, I think it's perfect that this is the first aspect of this brand new never before heard podcast uh that you are recording from New York uh I am recording from Seattle we are opposite ends of this great country of ours and I think that maybe Larry King at Dairy Queen is sort of an east coast best and Bjork's baby at a baby Bjorn mm. is super west coast you know Oh yeah sure I I I often say when people ask me about the differences between living in Seattle and living in New York, I often say that they're they're great antidotes for each other. They have right. wonderful things about both of them, and there are a lot of similarities in terms of people's attitudes and mm-hmm. things like that. But uh, in in a lot of ways, the the way of life in both places is is very different. And uh, they, they, they would, if I could live. If I could live in both, I would because I think they fulfill different needs. And I think that much in that same way, Bjork's baby and a baby Bjorn for, fulfills a certain need that Larry King at Dairy Queen just can't. <laughs> right, right. Well, and vice versa. They each fulfill needs that the other. It's kind of like um, how when you tune in to Garfield and Friends, you're there to watch Garfield, but you're not going to just ignore U.S. Acres. <laughs> A.K.A. Orson's Farm. I mean, <laughs> it's like <laughs> the two go hand in hand. They interlock in a way. So, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Um, and what of 
A Tale of Two Kitties. <laughs> and what of A Tale of Two Kitties? <laughs> Bill Murray, what <laughs> of? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, apparently there was a character named Brick who usually pounds Garfield. <laughs> is, is pounds the parlance that Wikipedia uses? Yeah. Maybe they mean like <laughs> throws Garfield into the pound, like the, the cat pound. Oh I, oh, I see. I hadn't really thought of that. I just I thought of like a bully. Yeah, well, Look it's hard Garfield's to tell from this. You're going to get a pounding. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to tell from this Wikipedia article. <laughs> I think I'm going to mark it for needs clarification. <laughs> okay, here's a question. Was Heathcliff anything? The other yeah. Orange Cat show. Was, he absolutely what was. was well, besides, besides putting a fish in his mouth and pulling out a fish skeleton. Yeah, was great. Oh, <laughs> That works a few times an episode, but what else is contained in that 22 minutes? <laughs> so, what's, what I'm pretty sure uh, is contained is... Okay, because there were, there were two shows, once again, embedded in this single show. There was the main show, Heathcliff, and then there was this backup segment called The Cadillac Cats. <laughs> which had... <laughs> which it was a gang of cats that that like hung out in a junkyard. Is this, is, this as the, is this as the filmmaker intended, or are you reading this into Heathcliff? Is this is this your is this your theory from your own it's my fan theory from the, from the Heathcliff wiki that you maintain? <laughs> That's correct. From the- you see, a lot of people think it's about Heathcliff, but I say it's about the Cadillac cats. This is like the um, this is like the Tyler Durden theory of uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, right? Like this is your uh, yeah, no, your it actually Ferris is. Bueller it's- doesn't exist theory. <laughs> it's it's definitely um, there's nothing to uh, there's no evidence to support it, <laughs> but. Um, but I felt like the uh, subreddit um, fan theories w- just wasn't specific enough for me, so I started a new subreddit, Heathcliff Theories. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> there's not too many users, but uh, most of the ones that are on there want to talk about the Cadillac Cats. <laughs> okay, so so what, what, what were the Cadillac Cats all about? A bunch of bad cats, I um, assume. Yeah, there were bad cats. There was... Riff Raff and Wordsworth and Mungo and Leroy. <laughs> <laughs> Mungo and Words- Wordsworth. <laughs> that's a that's a, that's a uh, I don't know. Uh, that's a poet, right? <laughs> yes, I believe so. <laughs> but oh, I don't man. think Mungo is. <laughs> Mungo, Mungo is the is the world's most classic poet. That's what everyone used to call Shakespeare back when the, he was still alive. <laughs> <laughs> the world's most classic. <laughs> that sounds so fishy to me. It sounds totally not right. Okay, so you're uh, you're you're a person who goes on Reddit more often than I do, mm-hmm. uh, and we've talked about Reddit before in this program about how I find it to be uh, intentionally inaccessible um, for uh, uh. laymen like me. But uh, uh, the have you? Do you know about this Berenstain Bears theory? <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> yes, and this is a great thing to talk. I about. I just had this described to me over Christmas dinner, and it and it blew my mind. And you spit out your your Christmas ham across the table. <laughs> and I, I expelled the Christmas goose from. <laughs> I was so surprised. I did a spit take that had every Christmas ingredient in the same. Mm-hmm. Same mouthful. Mm-hmm. It was the perfect bite. <laughs> ruined. Um, and it was ruined. By the Berenstain Bears. <laughs> Christmas was ruined. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it was a Berenstain on the name of Christmas. <laughs> um, but, uh, okay, so... Uh, it Yeah, it reminded me of, this, of the, the theory in which... Uh, 
uh, about a third of television has taken place in an, inside an autistic child's snow globe. Okay, sure. Uh, because of because of the the series finale of Saint Elsewhere. Hmm. Uh, you know this theory, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I think Tommy Westfall is the character's name. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Tommy Westfall uh, snow globe theory. Exactly. Yeah, and of course mm-hmm. it includes all of the all of the Richard Belzer uh, shows. Uh, isn't that isn't that his name? The guy who ties together all the universes. I think that's right. Yeah, uh, it's, it's in all the Baltimore shows, and it's so so distracting in the wire like <laughs> i think that I, you could tell that david simon really didn't want to put him in the wire so he's just like in the background of a scene and it's just like the most distracting thing it just feels like tonally completely unrelated to the rest of the show <laughs> oh super totally unrelated i'm yeah i'm watching this <laughs> these harsh street realities unfold and i'm crying and it's just mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. just it's, it's so real for me. And then Richard Belser is like in a bar, like hanging out in the back. And I think you hear like one or two words that he says or something. And it's, it's just like, it's a, it's, it's very, very tonally off for sure. That is, that is very strange that they did it, like went through with it. Like you'd think they would go, well, let's try this and then go, it's not working. We're not doing it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's gotta be in Belser's contract or something. And, um, yeah, that's a weird ass contract. I, I know, right? And he seems like like what clause supports the Tommy Westfall thing? I know, right? I think <laughs> I think Richard Belzer is a, a I, I like that character, and I actually think like of uh, he's some of the shows in which he pays he plays a larger part. He's the best part of some of those shows, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. But even so, I found him to be uh, uh, artificially inserted into the wire. But maybe he's some people's favorite part of the wire. <laughs> I don't know the background of that one scene. Yeah, yeah. There are people that like they're like. <laughs> I imagine people whose like boyfriends had been telling them that like the wire was so fucking amazing, and they just sat through a- episode after episode waiting for it to appeal to them at all. And then they see Richard Belzer in the background, and they're like, "Oh, <laughs> it's gonna get so good." <laughs> And then he says his two lines and then leaves, and they're like, God damn it, does he come back? <laughs> when, when does that character show up again? <laughs> Watch all the way to the end just to see if Belser showed up. <laughs> but that's what, Maybe that's like all of television, though. Maybe that's what, what sparks that, that specific fan to watch any television show, is that maybe it'll be a Belser show. Because... You know, they, they, maybe it's not a Baltimore-based show, but they could go to Baltimore, mm-hmm. except if it's like Game of Thrones or something and just completely divorced from reality. <laughs> that, would, that would be great if just one but, episode they go to Baltimore. <laughs> <laughs> it's never explained how or why. <laughs> it's the Halloween episode. <laughs> They're like rumors that there's a... A Halloween episode of Game of Thrones, and everyone's like, this is going to be so fucking scary, the White Walkers are going to go nuts, and they just go to Baltimore. <laughs> I know, exactly. It's what like, the fuck? <laughs> it's just like rough cops on the beat in Baltimore. <laughs> Characters of Game of Thrones are so out of place. <laughs> so bored. <laughs> like, our lives are so much more interesting. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, but the Berenstain-Bernstein thing is, like, not inside an autistic kid's head, right? I mean, maybe that's one explanation for this theoretically real-world thing, but, like... Right, it just... You go ahead ahead and explain it. Tell tell our listeners what it is. (laughs) Oh, well, it reminded me of the theory because... Uh, the theory itself seemed very aware of itself as a silly theory, uh, but the, did, now, now actually, I may, I may do, I may not do this justice. Uh, but uh, that the, the, everyone remembers it as the Berenstein Bears, and if you go back and look at it, it is not the Berenstein Bears; it is the Berenstain Bears, and. I suppose the explanation of this 
uh, uh, discrepancy could be that uh, there there has been a uh, shift in reality at some point, right? right. Is that the basic uh, uh, idea of it? Yeah, if everyone shares this memory, but no matter if you go and find old antiques or whatever, like it seems that that there's never any real world proof, no matter where you look, that it's the way everyone remembers it. Right. So what is real? <laughs> right. Like, is our collective memory real or is uh, what's written real? Well, and like, if a record says one thing, but everyone remembers it a different way. Yeah, exactly. But but I remember it even, how do we account for even that? more, even different than that, is that I didn't know it was B-E-R-E-N-S. I thought it was B-E-R-N-S. So I didn't know it was Baron anything. I thought it was Bernstein. That's... I've been saying Bernstein the whole time. Why didn't anybody tell me? <laughs> I've been saying Berenstein Bears. And then like six months ago, someone told me it was Bernstein Bears. And I was like, oh, well, that's that's crazy. And then just this Christmas, I found out that it was Berenstein Bears. And... Uh, uh. I looked it up, and lo and behold, we had so. Oh, I had a shared memory with a few people that was uh, the the uh, 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 the life cereal commercial uh, that when they feed the life cereal to Mikey, <laughs> they force feed the life cereal to Mikey. It's a, <laughs> it's, a hor- it's a horrible like Clockwork Orange type scene where they just like um, anyway. <laughs> I think Mikey was uh, on hunger strike for political reasons, wasn't he? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Mikey was a, yeah, he was a political prisoner. <laughs> he was fainting and it was just a, it was a, it was a horrible thing. Um, he was on death row. Uh, but anyway, mm-hmm. it was a, let's give it to Mikey. He hates everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they give it to Mikey and Mikey likes it. Right. Um, and that would make sense. But I had remembered it and Rebecca had remembered it as let's give it to Mikey. He'll eat anything. And then they give it to him and they say he likes it. And that's that's a really bad commercial. That doesn't make any <laughs> sense. But at the same time, we believe that that has to be it and, and, and that it was just a terrible commercial. And then we we rewatched it recently, and it was he hates everything, mm-hmm. and so I have to believe that reality has changed. It's not it's not me remembering <laughs> God it differently. Damn it. <laughs> That's the most narcissistic way to approach that situation. Because <laughs> um, I mean, I was so sure the the. Um, the other example that I heard on some crazy guy's blog about how everything's a conspiracy is that, which I only found because I was reading about the Berenstein Bears thing, and they were like, it's all described on this guy's website. This is a fucking rabbit hole to go down. Go ahead and try reading it. And he had another example on there of a bunch, a whole bunch of people remembering, um, it was specifically when Nelson Mandela passed away, like last year and mm-hmm. everybody a lot of people said i remember him dying in 1992 i think it was and it was specifically in a prison okay. riot and like um they had all these details in their head and a lot of people remembered it this way and mm-hmm. so they it was it's the same kind of thing it's like whoa mass misremembery what does that mean? Is the government, you know, like using television broadcasts to manipulate our minds? And this is the early experiments to see what they can get away with. Um, right. And, yeah. You know, my theory is that people just didn't pay very close attention <laughs> and that some different political figure who was anti apartheid was killed in 1992. Like that general Christopher Hani, I think was his name. He was like assassinated in his front yard and there was a big deal about that. And so maybe people heard that and they thought it's Nelson Mandela or whatever. So Max, you're telling me that a bunch of 
A bunch of average Americans heard the name of one African guy and thought it was another African guy. I mm-hmm. refuse to believe mm-hmm. that. <laughs> yes, exactly. Because we all know about, we all know about uh, Americans' uh, propensity for one paying attention and two being able to tell apart anyone who isn't white. Mm-hmm. So, oh yeah, definitely. I don't understand how that could happen. <laughs> I recently said to a coworker something about uh, Jaimon Hansu, and then they were like, oh, wait, now which one is he? And I went, it's not Chiwetel Ejiofor. <laughs> exactly. And he got so freaked out. And it's surely not Adewale Akanuye Agbaje. <laughs> That's, yeah. But see, like, <laughs> I think they were like, well, no, I just don't know who Jaimon Hansu is. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I see. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you're the, yeah, you were the, you were the problematic one in that, in that case. Absolutely. So that's, that's the problem. It's like, I love to say Adewale Akanuye Agbaje. And I like the idea that you could, uh, uh, uh confuse these, these, uh, uh, these, you know, uh, all popular African actors, but um, who's which one is Adewale Akinule? Uh, Adewale <laughs> Akinule Agbaje. He's not nearly as popular as Jaimon Hansu or uh, um, Shiwetel Ejiofor. Uh, he played. He plays a lot of. Uh, he's on TV a lot. He he was Mister Echo in Lost. Um, that's the only thing I can think of right now. Um, all right, all right. Uh, I'm looking it up. <laughs> Command F. Echo. No, no, he wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, maybe I dreamed him. (laughs) Wait, this is a new conspiracy theory I have. (laughs) Oh, here we go. Adewale Akanuye Agbaje. That's amazing. Okay, yeah, that's it. That is a... That's a a great name. That is a great name. (laughs) I feel like that, that remains better than all the funny football player names that Key and Peele make fun of. <laughs> oh, yeah. DeBrickashaw Ferguson? Yes, exactly. It's <laughs> that's, that's got to be my favorite. <laughs> oh, he plays Killer Croc in Suicide Squad. Doi. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, it's good to know that Adewale Akinuyag Budge is still getting work. He, <laughs> there's apparently a series that I've never heard of named Major Laser, and he <laughs> plays a character named Major Laser slash Evil Laser. <laughs> oh, no. Well, it figures. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Oh, you know who else? You know who else is a, a voice, I think? No, maybe it is live action. In this is John Boyega, star of The Stars Wars. Oh, nice! Yeah, still haven't seen, still haven't seen that little, that little guy, that little baby. You should see that tiny little, tiny little baby guy. Yeah, yeah, I probably should. It's, uh, it's a fun one. All right, yeah, all right, yeah. fine. We'll go see it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was thinking that I am writing a screenplay that's obviously a total ripoff of Back to the Future, and it's called Clock Buddies. <laughs> 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 Clock dudes. Wait, sorry. No, it's, uh, they, uh, that was a Saturday morning cartoon. Dudes with a, yeah. was with a Z, and they were always wearing. They were always wearing every piece of uh, protective gear you could when you were a skateboarder. Like they were wearing yeah, elbow exactly. pads and knee pads that were neon pink and neon green. Mm, and a helmet, and like yeah, and a helmet, yeah. and like uh, uh, really cool shades, like very like thin uh, teardrop. <laughs> Like sideways teardrop shaped shades, yeah, clock, yeah, clock exactly. dudes. Oh, we gotta, we gotta clock it, bro. <laughs> clock it, <Hang> on, professor. <laughs> Mardo, Mardo, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta clock that. I, I don't trust that Mardo. <laughs> I think he's secretly friends with Borf. I know, right. <laughs> Do you know uh, about this uh, artist named Christian Marclay who made this movie called The Clock? No, I do not. It's it's a 24-hour art piece 
that was showing on loop in a few different venues in New York uh, is now owned by the Museum of Modern Art here. So they brought it out uh, a couple of years ago and showed it for a few days on a 24-hour loop uh, uh, and opened up their doors to people for people to go at any point in time. And they may do so in the future. But what it is is it's a movie where this guy went through the entire history of film or of English speaking film anyway uh, and maybe there's some silent films in there as well uh, and found every scene that he could where either a clock is shown or a watch is shown or someone references the time okay. and then what he did was he put it in real time so you're watching so you're watching this movie and you're watching a scene where someone looks on their watch and says it's 10:23 and it actually is 10:23 oh, IRL. Huh. So uh so you have but you have all kinds of random things. I mean of course you have uh uh you have the uh clock switching to 6 a.m. in Groundhog Day. Mm-hmm. And uh you have you have various like iconic clock scenes, but you also just have all these you have like uh the scene of John Candy trying to sell his Casio watch in planes, trains, and automobiles. But all he's doing is pointing to the watch, and if you look really closely, it says the time. Uh, oh, wow. So uh, it's, it's, it's very impressive, uh, but the uh, the two things that I, you know, I talked to a lot of people about going and when it was showing in New York, it was this very exciting thing that people would go and you'd stand in line usually for like uh, anywhere from a couple hours to a couple of minutes depending on the time of day you know some people tried to get, to get in faster they'd go at like 3 a.m or something oh, gotcha. uh, but uh it's actually it was it was it was very impressive and i uh talked to a lot of people who had gone and uh most people the two things that people really wanted to be there to see were uh Groundhog Day, the clock switching to six uh, six a.m. and I think it was actually like the one where it goes in super slow motion and it's super up close on the oh, clock, yeah. and uh, and the other one was uh, ten oh four when um, the lightning strikes the clock in uh, uh, Back to the Future. Ah, nice. And for some reason, that was the uh, that 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 was the those were the two like iconic time moments that uh, when you think about like famous clock scenes in movies. Oh, I'm guessing. Uh, there was some uh, 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 Hudsucker proxy in there. Oh, sure. Uh, there had to have been. But, yeah. I don't think I was there for midnight. I went a couple of times, though. And what's the... Um, Her- is it Harold Lloyd or is it Buster Keaton who, like, hung from the the clock during some movie that was silent? <laughs> oh, Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember. In fact, I think it's referenced in Back to the Future. Right. Lloyd hanging from the hands of a clock high above the street in Safety Last, 1923. Ah, uh, yes, yes, one of yes. the most enduring images in all of cinema. Yes, yes, of course. Yeah, yeah that had to have been in there as well. <clears throat> That's a pretty cool idea. I was, uh, when you were saying, like, it's a 24-hour movie, I was reminded of Modern Times Forever, the 10-day-long film, and... Ambiance, which is going to be 720 hours or whatever. Um, wait, what is... Wait, what? So there's these art movies. One is called Modern Times Forever. And it was made in 2011 by a Danish artist group. Uh, and it lasts 10 days long straight. And it shows how Helsinki's Stara Enso headquarters building would decay over the next few thousand years. So I presume that's a lot of, like, CG or something. And then, to beat that, some Swedish filmmaker, Anders Weberg, is making Ambiance, which is going to be released in 2020. It's going to run for 30 straight days. Wow. And... He, uh, in 2018, he will, will release a 72 hour trailer. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. (laughs) And in 2016, he'll release a seven hour, 20 minute trailer. And you can currently watch the 72 minute trailer. So he's got like a nested three layers deep of trailers. Oh, that's hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) That's really funny. (laughs) 
And so that's what I was thinking. We, it was that's what I thought of when you mentioned a twenty-four hour movie. But then you went on to describe it, and it had interesting content as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, I mean, feel like that automatically. There's these. Uh, yeah, this, I mean, if you hear a twenty-four hour movie and it's called The Clock, it's called to mind like Andy Warhol's uh, Empire or something like that, which is just an eight-hour shot of the Empire mm. State Building, right, or uh, yeah, yeah. Andy Warhol's Sleep, which is eight hours of a guy sleeping, or whatever yeah the 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 clock was very impressive and actually like incredibly fun to watch but also you can come into it at any point uh you know but maybe this maybe this 30 30 hour film though will be uh full of intrigue and suspense i uh I, I, <laughs> is it narrative i don't think so i think it's okay it's trying to show how uh, a film can evoke mood or something mm. and it's like after the one showing ever, he's gonna like destroy the film or whatever. So right, I hope it doesn't have narrative. Yeah, but what if it did have narrative? Actually, that would be pretty impressive, though. I don't know. It would be very. Impressive. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I guess if you're gonna watch thirty hours of something that has narrative, we'll watch The Sopranos. Like you'll be fine. But it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> a pretty good point. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem with with something that's really good that has a linear narrative, uh, you might as well just go watch a really good TV show Yeah. at that point. Like, 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 I, like, I don't know, like, like the possibilities of, uh, of say something like literature or, um, uh, painting or something are so much apart from, uh, narrative that you might as well, if you know, if you're interested in narrative, you can go watch Fargo on FX, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and that's uh, you're going to get ten hours then, of really uh, uh, what do you call that compelling narrative, <clears throat> and it needs to be viewed in order. And it's not just an experiment that's trying to evoke mood. It's an actual like characters, and they're the same characters, and they say ideas and stuff they planted in episode in hour one comes back in hour ten, and it's like a traditional storytelling. Yeah, and it takes an incredible amount of skill to pull off if yeah. it's good. Yeah. Uh, and whereas, whereas something, whereas you know, so, uh, you know, that's maybe why you know other other media maybe should do something other than portray simply a a, a, a linear narrative. But they also have to be vital in other ways. Then I guess. Um, but I don't know, like maybe, maybe that's, uh, uh, maybe that's all, uh, n- neither here nor there because, you know, uh, authors like James Patterson and Dean Koontz write compelling narratives, I guess, because they're like the most popular living authors, but mm-hmm. well, I'm but sure. like, like, so what you're saying about like doing more than just telling a compelling narrative, um, it's kind of like the idea of like, when is a show something that people tell you like okay there's all these shows that people tell you 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 must watch this show it is so important that you see this show and you hear that about a lot of different shows um when is it that people are telling you that because it's it's life changing and society changing and cultural changing and when are they telling you that just because you are incredibly wrapped up in the narrative and it possesses a lot of your thinking throughout the day. Like, do I need, I haven't watched a minute of game of Thrones. Do I need to watch that? Because I'll understand things about what people are doing with art today that game of Thrones will help me grasp. Or do I just need to watch it because everyone who started it was like, Holy shit, I can't put it down. I have to keep watching it. You know, it like, are we just better at making soap operas than we used to? Or are we actually? Is the golden age of television actually saying something artistically? That I, I uh, I've wondered that as well. I mean, you can, but I guess it comes down to identification with characters, though, because you can get wrapped up in any narrative, and that's not necessarily discounting uh, the validity of the narrative or what it has to say or anything. Because the fact is, is like, um, like, like you told me a long time ago, you said you, you said you will get a 
invested in something six episodes in, no matter what it is, even if it's Living Single. Right. And so I, I wouldn't ever tell you you have to watch Living Single, but <laughs> I, uh, I, you know, me watching Living Single is not necessarily a bad thing if I'm invested in those characters. Uh, although it, I guess it could be argued that uh, that my time could be better spent. I um, I'm oh, it's for it's 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 for that particular reason that I uh, I I too have not uh, been uh, particularly interested in Game of Thrones because uh, there's there's nothing outside of it being Game of Thrones that I find compelling about it. That, that outside of finding out what happens to those characters, yeah. Um, uh, but 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 also I I mean you know I, I there's certainly there's certainly a lot of like women's breasts to look at in it and that's pretty you know, sweet and, and so 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 there's it has that going for it <laughs> it also has uh, 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 so something that somebody was telling me uh, that it invented a whole uh, a whole new genre of exposition which is that you will pay attention to to really, really drawn out, convoluted backstory being basically told to you if sex is happening while it's being told to you. Right, so, right. uh, uh, it's, uh, and, uh, and it was posited to me that that is a new form of storytelling <laughs> and that it's incredibly <laughs> clever, that it's not, that it's not just, uh, it's not just trashy or it's, and, or it's not just being uh, manipulative of the viewer or anything that it's a, uh, that it's, it's, it's a vital new uh, storytelling format to basically <laughs> have like a six person orgy going on while they're uh, talking about the, the, you know, the Gorthag family right. or whatever. I don't know that that's not manipulative though. I mean, that's absolutely <laughs> manipulating the audience, but it, I, but like it's, it's, it's maybe not just that, uh, because like, whatever, all filmmaking is manipulative of the audience. But like, I don't know. I don't. Know. It, it seems like it's impossible to claim that it's not like it's. But it's pretty clever because, right? Like, as you describe that, I learned more about how we relate to sex than I learned about storytelling. Right. <laughs> like, it's pretty amazing that your perception gets so much. Like, when when sex is currently happening, you pay so much attention to every little detail. It's like the equivalent of, like, being on amphetamines or something. Yeah. Where, like, more... <laughs> there's, you're getting detail out of the tiniest things, and, the, and something that maybe lasts for a relatively short amount of time feels like it lasts for a really long time because every second contains all this detail, and you're happily intaking it all. It seems counterintuitive to me because I feel like I would be totally distracted and not interested in anything being said. But yeah, I, I, don't yeah, know. Yeah. I, I guess I haven't like watched a whole lot of these scenes. I've seen parts of uh, uh, Game of Thrones. I think I've seen about a season and a half of it, and uh, I recognize a, uh, like a lot of uh, what's great about it. But I just have not felt the need to uh, continue watching it. Really, maybe, maybe if there's sex happening in front of you and somebody's telling you really boring history your brain can't help but tie the two together in the same way that like when you listen back to a podcast from before you remember what part of the city you were walking through oh totally the first time you heard it <laughs> so like and i do that all the time your brain's just like well these two things must be connected yeah it's really bizarre how how directly attached they are and how like the or the, it goes the other way. The next time you're at the same location you were, you remember the like jokes that Jesse Thorne was telling. Or whatever. Yeah, exactly. I had a really weird experience yesterday. Was where I was trying to find a particular moment uh, that, that I thought was a, a salient point that had been made on uh, Judge John Hodgman, and I was going. Th I was trying to uh, using the fast forward button on the podcast. And then I went to a part where I remembered standing at a certain street corner in my neighborhood and that I was walking home from the subway. So I cycled for, I knew the exact amount of time to cycle forward then because I remembered when I had heard the other thing. I was like, Oh, well it takes me three minutes to get from that point to that ah. point IRL. So I have to fast forward three minutes in the podcast. That's amazing. And, uh, I felt, I felt like a cyborg. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I saw the uh, I saw the I saw the remake of RoboCop. Did you see that piece of garbage? Oh no, I never did see that piece of garbage. <laughs> uh, it was it's it uh, um, starring Joel Kinnaman, um, homie cop from uh, from from the uh, uh, the killing, the American version of the killing. Uh, it was it was. Uh, it had some okay things about it, but it was totally. It was almost completely devoid of. It's like you guys knew that RoboCop was a satire, right? Oh, right. Like, it was. It was. It was very. It was very much just like about an awesome robot cop. Uh, or it. It there was. There was a lot. Was it was definitely about like a about the the moral implications of like taking away someone's humanity and things like that. But it was it it was. The the satire was almost completely uh, stomped out of it. I felt like they could have done a lot more with it. Well, what was the... There was something, right? There was some... And it's not satire, but it was almost like they misinterpreted satire to mean that they had a responsibility to have it touch on modern issues in some way. Hmm. And so there wasn't there like... Uh, I don't know, like police violence issues or... Well, there was a... Uh, the, the, they had changed a major part of... They make him uh, uh, solve the the greatest the greatest crime that... Now, it's like, now RoboCop has to solve the, the greatest crime of all, his own murder. Oh, right. And it's like this unbelievable thing that he could possibly solve his own murder. It's like, yeah, but you know he's, he's the guy. He was there. Like, why is it, why is it crazy that he could do this? And, and they, they have Samuel L. Jackson in it, who's uh, portraying sort of a Bill O'Reilly type character. And all of the satire is funneled through this one character of Samuel L. Jackson, who is basically this talking head talking about how, uh, uh, um, it's it, it has it has this uh this war aspect where robots are fighting our wars overseas, but right. our, um, Drone our warfare, pussy yeah, president yeah. Uh, won't allow them to yeah won't allow them to uh, uh, um, fight our wars at home, and therefore uh, and so uh, basically they it's it, it had some uh, uh, parallels to. Um, uh, another movie that was maybe uh, more fun, but possibly just as flawed, uh, Chappie. Um, oh, man. Which is the movie by um, Neil Blomkamp. Yeah. Did you see no, that? I no, I had no desire to see Chappie. Really? Oh, Wait, man. Uh, but but we, we I mean we've probably we've probably talked about Elysium on I think we have talked about Elysium on this show before but but we we once loved we once loved you Neil Blomkamp. We right. don't love Neil Blomkamp anymore. Well, Elysium was real crappy too, wasn't it? Elysium, Elysium was real bad, yeah. <laughs> and I feel like I feel like my my idea after I saw Elysium was that was that Neil Blomkamp tr- tricked us, and <laughs> that if you look back at District Nine, it's a very well made movie, but it doesn't really uh, it doesn't really hit particularly hard. It's just a movie that is that star- starts off as a documentary, quickly abandons that premise, uh, has some real neat special effects that were uh, relatively, I mean, big budget, mm-hmm. but relatively low budget and still mm-hmm. looked awesome. Right. Uh, had kind of a, like a social veneer to it, but it wasn't particularly a, a, a hard-hitting social thing. And then halfway through, just turned into Bad Boys 2. Like, it was just an <laughs> awesome action movie. So and then, but then you had then you have these other movies, Chappie and Elysium, which uh, which have a similar veneer to them, like they're going, but they're so one note. I would say that Chappie's more awesome than Elysium because it's just completely off the wall bonkers in parts. Hmm. There's a there's a part where a giant robot takes a weird lobster claw thing that it has and snaps a guy in half and I was like awesome but like <laughs> and it's also starring it's starring that weird uh South African rap group yeah um, die antwoord or whatever yeah the antwoord the antwoord yeah <laughs> yeah which I think is Swedish or something for the answer. But yeah, uh, anyway. I, I thought it was like, 
Like when people say the F word, it's the ant word. Oh. <laughs> like, I wasn't sure what that word would be. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I, if you're going to see Chappie or Robocop, I would see Chappie. But. Oh, really? Wow. That's not... Yeah. I was going to see Robocop. I wasn't going to see either one. <laughs> <laughs> right after this podcast, I was going to watch one of them. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But I only got time for one. I can't watch both. In the great in the great battle between Chappie and Robocop, I I'm pro Chappie. Oh man. Well, Chappie is a little more baby Bjorn and a baby Bjorn. Or <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Don't blame me. I voted for Bjork's baby and a baby Bjorn. I well, I feel like so it's like, I feel like these filmmakers believe that if you're going to make a movie, I don't know, it's almost like these, these, these filmmakers, like, cause you know, it's popular now and I think it's great that it's popular now, uh, but it has become kind of an overt trend to take these little indie filmmakers and give them really big budget franchise movies. Yeah. And, um, they've come up with some really amazing results but there's it's like they've learned that it's not a guarantee you still can make shitty movies cuz RoboCop was Jose Padilla who has since done that Narcos show right and he did like all these documentaries about South American like guerrilla warfare and stuff um so he sh- had the mind theoretically to make RoboCop awesome but like I don't know, maybe not, because, like, Verhoeven had this really special way about him where he was able to, like, make something really, like, ugh, stupid, awesome, and um, something that's satirical. Yeah. At the same time. Like, you can go and see Starship Troopers, and it's just a fucking rad movie. Or you can go see Starship Troopers and be like, this is about the military's approach to problem solving or whatever. Yeah. I don't know why they didn't just ask Paul Verhoeven to do it. (laughs) And the, um, the total recall remake. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, they, they did that with Mad Max. Yeah. I guess that's pretty true. I guess that's a, that's that's a new one in the franchise. But, uh, I, I remember seeing the, the poster for, I had, because of these, of the, the Robocops and the, uh, and the total recalls of the world, I had, I was not thinking about Mad Max at all. It's mm-hmm. just like, oh, weird, a Mad Max is co- coming out fine. Um, uh, and I saw the poster, and the first thing I not- noticed about it was that it was rated R. And I was like, that seems like a bold move uh, for a big blockbuster movie mm-hmm. because uh, ratings are a huge part of how you get people to pay f- to go see your movie. And if you're cutting out that much of your audience but making it rated r it's a big statement uh and then i noticed it was directed by some guy and i was like oh who's that guy and i noticed he made all the other movies and uh it was very uh surprising to me and then yeah uh and then i went and it was like the greatest thing ever or at least the craziest thing ever <laughs> one of the greatest things i saw this year sure oh yeah for sure although like theoretically when you remake a movie and there's a new artist doing it, and there's a new era in which the artist is making it, then you're going to have the opportunity to comment on the original, if that's valuable to you. Mm -hmm. Whereas George Miller is not going to be able to comment on the earlier Mad Maxes, or at least not in the same way. Yeah. Because he believes in the world as a real world. Whereas these other artists sort of are like, I'm going to reference that movie as a fictional thing in my brand new real world. Right. Right. Yeah. I think it would be really exciting though if if we gave Paul Verhoeven the ability to comment on his I mean theoretically he probably could give uh Paramount Pictures a call and say I I I want to make another RoboCop and they'd say mm-hmm. all right, here's 3 million dollars. But <laughs> uh uh you, you, and you, if we gave him the uh, the the soapbox to stand on to comment on his uh, on his previous movies in light of what's happened in the world since those movies were made, I think that would still be more interesting than just giving it to 
Jose Padilla, uh, which, yeah, I mean, uh, is, is probably a great director, but, but, you know, like I said, the, the, like earlier, like the odds are stacked against you if you want to make pretty much any movie, like, yeah, yeah, it's probably going to be bad, but, but it's like, I almost think that maybe directors that come from a really earnest place, like I imagine Jose Padilla did, they get tripped up by the franchisiness and the nerdiness of some of these remakes. And they kind of like, you know, to, to what extent is it the, the, the studio trying to fuck with them and cut, their, cut, cut them off of the legs or whatever, limit them? But also, I think in their own mind, there's got to be some level of like, like, oh, I get it. I'm making a movie for Robocop fans. I can do that. And it's like, well, I don't know. You're you're classy for you to like. It, I don't know. It, it's it's the equivalent of with of when uh, of when Neil deGrasse Tyson tries to be funny, and it's like, eh, you haven't been doing that that long. You don't really know like <laughs> the finer points of how to do that. <laughs> I learned that apparently Nicki Minaj has like five different personas. And she chooses at any given time which one to be in when she performs. What? Yeah. But it's all Nicki Minaj or she has different names? Yeah, they all have different names, I think. And wow. One of, them is na- one of them is a man, which is pretty sweet. That is pretty sweet. I, I, you know, I, I've, heard some, I've heard some real crappy Nicki Minaj songs, but like overall, Nicki Minaj is great. Like... I think she seems pretty awesome. I, I, she's she's a net positive. Yeah, most of my exposure to her is actually uh, on Tumblr. People will like do gifs of like interviews that she like quotes from interviews that she's given, and uh, mm-hmm. everything she says is totally on point. And then Josie was telling me, I'm she was like, I'm starting to think that like that is so like that stuff is all so smart and so well thought out. And then she'll still act and say and do stuff in other situations that are like the opposite of that, Hmm. that she's like, I'm starting to be convinced that when she does an interview, she's doing one of her personas, which she thinks of as like the intelligent, correct one. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. Which that is so crazy to me. (laughs) Yeah. She's always in character. I think of Nicki Minaj as sort of like the other Nathan Fielder because he's always in character when he does Nathan for you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I I believe it, I believe his character so hard because he just always is that character. It takes it yeah. takes me it takes a, a step back for me to realize that he's just a really good actor. Uh, and that he's just really funny. Yeah, yeah. Well, I feel like there's been like two moments in the show so far where you've seen the real Nathan Fielder react to something, mm-hmm. and it's and then he like really quickly gathers it back up and becomes the awkward Nathan Fielder persona for the show. And right, that's like such a special moment <laughs> because for a second you get to see the real him. Well, there's certain things, certain places that he won't go. Uh, there's, there's that, there's, there, uh, there's the episode where he's, uh, uh, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's in a job interview with John Benjamin telling him what to say through an earpiece, oh, and John yeah. Benjamin sa- tells tells him to say he's a child molester, and he won't do it. <laughs> uh, which, is, although I wonder if really great. That's even more for the comedy. Like he knows that in a split second, he calculates that it's funnier if he refuses to say certain things. Right. And it is funnier. Yeah, totally. I think so. Um, so I was wrong. I'm at the, uh, Nicki Minaj wiki. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which, as I say it out loud, I'm like, why is it not called the wiki? Minaj? <laughs> I know, right? But- it's a branding mistake. <laughs> um, so in the, there are, so there's a, in the in the Wiki Minaj. Oh, good, it is. It is called the Wiki Minaj. Thank goodness. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> but if you go to nickyminaj.wikia.com slash wiki slash alter egos, there's a whole page for her alter egos, and there's fifteen of them. Uh, uh, 
how many of them are also in the Cadillac Cats? <laughs> like four or five. Is, is Munko in there? <laughs> Wordsworth? <laughs> there is a Wordsworth, but it's not the Cadillac Cat. It is the classic poet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, there's one named Roman Zolansky, which is interesting. <laughs> Uh, that is interesting. <laughs> is it interesting, though? <laughs> oh my goodness! These are really crazy. How many? How many other? How many other like Polish filmmakers <laughs> did she change one letter in their name? <laughs> are they all that? It's like <laughs> the whole history of Polish film in. <laughs> Nicki Minaj's Yeah, because there's also a Nicki Lewinsky. So there's several Polish alter egos. (laughs) (laughs) Who can know? (laughs) I, uh, my, um, at my work, we have Skype for business set up, which is basically just, um, whatever, instant messenger for us to, like, type at each other if we don't want to get up or make a phone call. And, uh, Nobody sets their status or their location, um, which I think is surprising. Because I think most people are not Mm -hmm. internet culture. They're boring adults. And uh, so you can kind of tell those of us that are in internet culture a little bit because we actually do just create a a status. Mm -hmm. And so I set mine to the the link to the... um, the Wikipedia page that catalogs every movie in the Air Bud series. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and and I I don't I haven't gotten much response, but I would I love to imagine that like the CEO of the company is like, what is this link? And then clicks it and starts reading for like half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh my god, how many Air Buddies were there? <laughs> <laughs> There's so many Air Buddies, <laughs> but I am tempted now to replace it with a list of. Nicki Minaj's alter ego. <laughs> that would be sweet. <laughs> uh, a friend of mine came up with a great idea that uh, the Airbud movies are going to do different types of animals, and then they're just going to start doing plants, <laughs> and it's going to be Airbud but with plants. <laughs> <laughs> so amazing! I think that I think I think that's where Airbud is really headed next because they're just going to keep making those. Right? Those Airbud movies can't can't be stopped. They're an unstoppable force. <laughs> It's like the perpetual motion machine. <laughs> oh, man. I can't wait until that transitional phase after they've done every pet that like a kid would logically get, like birds and cats and stuff, and they're not yet at the plant phase, but they're doing spiders. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like the very beginning is like a nest of like thousands of baby spiders, and they're like carrying a basketball. <laughs> How many, yeah, exactly. Like, like right before they start doing plants, they'd probably be doing on like plankton or something, right? Like, they, they, they would just go into less and less significant animals or more and more obscure animals. Yeah, <laughs> various parasites. Yeah, exactly. Some Airbud, air Airbud, but for germs. Airbud for diseases. Airborne bud. Airborne bud. <laughs> oh. Like the only thing more communicable was Team Spirit or something. <laughs> God damn it! All right, is um, uh, is that a note to go out on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose we probably won't beat it. <laughs> Well, did I feel like I kind of wanted to hear about that your recent trip? Oh yeah, sure. Um, so I went to I went to uh, Macedonia, which is a little uh, uh, a little country that is uh, in the Balkans, just north of Greece. Uh, and I was there. I was living in their capital city, Skopje, for uh, a month, and uh, it didn't feel. It felt more like. Well, okay. Okay. Let me say, like, anytime you meet somebody who's lived abroad, uh, there's just this real, uh, 
annoying aspect of that person, right? It's like, like, <laughs> okay, like sure. it's, I feel like every, it's up to every person who has lived abroad or who has traveled to not be an asshole about it because, uh, it, the, the, it's, I think it's a very easy trap to fall into. So I realized that it speaks to massive amounts of privilege that I was able to, uh, uh, do this thing. But I did feel it was le- it was less like a, a, a place that it, it was less like a place that I visited than a place that I lived. I think, I think if people, if I get the question throughout my life, like, oh, where have you lived in your life? I did feel like I was living there. I was living in an apartment. Uh, I, I felt like a resident of the city, I guess. Um, and it was through the, the, the program, uh, uh, the auspices under which I visited were that of a creative fellowship, which is basically designed to uh, send artists and writers and um, uh, curators and filmmakers and people who make things to uh, foreign cities. So, hmm. wow! It's, it's designed to kind of uh, uh, get you in out of your typical uh, mode of production and typical mode of thinking and mode of creativity, and get you uh, into different modes and think from different perspectives and things like that. So, this organization uh, sent me to Skopje and basically designed a whole schedule of events for me to do. So, I was meeting with. Uh, uh, other artists and writers and um, uh, people involved with politics and things like that. I was also uh, uh, volunteering um, with a couple of organizations over there and uh, also going to museums and things, but also visiting historical sites. And so that was kind of the uh, 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 the short version of, 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 of why I was there and what I was doing there. But yeah, anything, anything in particular you want to know? <clears throat> um, how, how, how was it different <laughs> than America? <laughs> um, in, uh, in a lot of ways, uh, I'd say that the, well, the one of, one of the primary ways is, um, economic. Um, it's very, it's really poor. Uh, and, from the point of view of a privileged person who uh, who lives in the U.S. and does not have to live there, uh, many of the aspects of that uh, of its of it being uh, sort of rough around the edges or sort of chaotic are charming, and also the people there find uh, many of the aspects of it quite charming. There there are stray dogs running everywhere uh, in mm-hmm. the city. And, uh, uh, or, you know, uh, people using donkeys to get around, um, huh, things wow. like that. But, uh, it, uh, for another thing, it's really, it's in its current iteration is a very young country. It's, um, it was Yugoslavia up until, uh, 1991, um, when, uh, right after, you know, uh, shortly after the Berlin wall fell, the communism broke down and, uh, Yugoslavia was dissolved into these different nations. And so, they are still kind of figuring themselves out. So like identity is a huge theme there. Everyone's like, Oh, what are we, what are we doing? Uh, so it's, uh, it's very, uh, it's a very politically complicated place. The people are, people there know so much about their politics and everyone's so Mm. politically involved and you have to be because the political situation there is pretty horrible, but Mm. People, but yeah, it, it does feel walking down the street. It feels like the city is full of, yeah, people who are, who are living and doing doing really interesting things. Uh, it felt to me like that as an outsider. Uh, everyone I talked to, though, almost everyone said that that is uh, going away quickly. People are not uh, hopeful for the future of Skopje as a as a vibrant city, which is um, which is really kind of a bummer. It's all it's all wrapped up in their like in this political situation that they have now, which is supposedly going to get better uh, because there was all kinds of like surveillance of the government doing all these bad things. So now they've, they've assigned a special prosecutor to it and everything. But yeah, if things go super well and they overturn the government and get the political system they want, does that still mean that Scovia is going to continue to, to, to whatever die? Or, uh, I think, I think like that is there something else causing that? I think that the spirit of you know it's not going to return to 
supposedly, you know, after Yugoslavia dissolved, everyone was really happy, and it was like a party for about like ten years, hmm. and then, um, and then everybody kind of like calmed down, and, it, and that that spirit is gone, I guess. Hmm. But uh, because it's it's that part of Eastern Europe, there are there's this fantastic uh, that. Uh, architecture in the city um, uh, that's all these like imposing concrete structures that you would picture when you picture like communist block uh, uh, cities and now that's all being plastered over with this kind of uh, neoclassical look that the uh, that the new administration is forcing onto the city so that was like one of the main like dominant uh, uh, conversations that you'd have with people in the city is like what the it's it's like how the city was reinventing its look and how uh, uh, how who who the new look was made to represent I guess like what viewpoint mm -hmm. is this new look because they were it they're putting in all these like Roman columns and things and putting up all these new statues and over the course mm -hmm. of five years the entire city's look has has changed it's a really interesting. Mm -hmm way to think about how uh how aesthetics uh uh determines identity and who gets to choose that and stuff and i was thinking about it because i was like well washington dc didn't always look the way it does now someone decided that mm -hmm. for it uh and it now just represents uh you know these american ideals or whatever but um but, but you know uh, according to the people in skopje it's a, like a very bad idea to tear down these communist block uh uh, structures and put up these new ones that uh, that are s sort of represent this uh, I don't know some kind of like Roman emperor kind of vibe. But it was, oh. it was but I I would I would I would recommend it to everybody. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Wow. Huh. <clears throat> well, that's pretty interesting. That is the by far yeah. the most interesting part of this episode. <laughs> I don't know about that. I thought it was pretty cool when we were talking about Cadillac cats. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I guess I guess uh, um, uh, for the fans, that's one of the re one of the reasons that we haven't done an episode in a while. But you know, it's, it's it's hard to blame it on just that. It's also I'm a real lazy editor. Uh, I would say that I spend most of my week feeling like. Martha Zolanski or lap dance Nika. Uh, and as soon as I sit down and talk to you, I get to feel much more like Tyrone or Nikki Teresa. <laughs> oh, man. Is Tyrone the dude? Is Tyrone the, the, the dude one? It turns out there's three dudes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. There's Norman. See, this has gone from kind of cool <laughs> to, like, a mess. Like, I kind of feel like... <laughs> Indiscriminately adding more personas on. Yeah, it's like, what are you doing, Nicki Minaj? It's like, it's like, uh, it's like Magic the Gathering circa like 2004 when they were just desperately trying to do anything to come up with new ideas, you know? <laughs> I really want to vandalize the, the wiki by just adding, adding Magic the Gathering expansion sets to her list of. Alter egos. <laughs> that's a really, it's a really great uh, <laughs> Wikipedia vandalism. Well, uh, listeners, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. It's been really freaking meandering. If you put down beats on Friday, better have five new songs by Monday. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh man, that's for sure words. <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs>